Don't let anxiety be the norm. Get the powerful, safe audio system for anxiety over at quietbegins.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to talk about a couple things today. One of them has to do with my book called The Overwhelmed Brain, Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers. I wrote that back in 2017, 2016, 2017. And uh, when I wrote it, it was supposed to be about everything I talked about on this show. I mean, I can't really say I talked about everything that I talk about in this show in the book. But when the publisher reached out to me, they asked me to write a book based on this show. So I wrote the book. I wrote about boundaries. I wrote about values. I wrote about self-esteem and self-worth and honor yourself and relationships, emotional intelligence in so many words, but may not have used those words. And uh, that's pretty much the uh, what I want to talk about, the gist of what I want to talk about regarding my book, because I had a couple people leave reviews for that book that said, this really isn't about being overwhelmed, and it's really not about critical thinking. <laughs> so these reviews came in. They're, they weren't bad reviews. They were just like average, three out of five stars. I had a lot of five-star reviews, which I'm very grateful for. But the people that bought the book that may not have ever heard the show, have no clue who I am, they bought the book thinking, oh, good. I'm going to get out of my overwhelmed brain and I'm a critical thinker. So this will be the perfect book for me. So I wrote this book based on what I talk about in the show. And I think may have inadvertently deceived some people who bought the book because they thought it was about uh, being overwhelmed. And technically it is. It, It is really all about being overwhelmed. And it is really all about critical thinking. But I don't present the material in a way that says, if you are overwhelmed, do this. In fact, I I rarely do that directly, but I almost always do it indirectly. And what I mean by that is if you came to me and and you said, hey, Paul, I'm overwhelmed. What do I do? I could say, okay, just breathe Now take the very first thing off your list and do that first. That is very practical, very basic, common information. You know, when you're overwhelmed, you take one thing out of the pile of stuff that you have to do and do that. Take a small thing, take a big thing. Well, small thing's better. Take a small thing, make that happen, and then you'll have it off your plate and you'll be 0.001% less overwhelmed. I think that's good advice. I do that myself. There's a lot of stuff on my plate, and I know I can't handle it all. So what I'll do is just take one thing and finish that one thing. Follow one course until success, that acronym from Jim Rohn. Focus. Follow one course until success. So I focus on that one thing, and I'm done. Well, I may not be done for a day or two or a week, but I finally get it done, and it's off my list. It's the same thing that Dave Ramsey talks about on his financial show, the debt snowball effect. You have a bunch of bills. You take the smallest bill, you pay that off first, and what you have left over, you put into the next bill, which is a little bit higher than the smallest bill. So you keep going up to the bigger and bigger bills, and you keep wiping out the smallest bills until all you have left are the biggest ones and finally the big one, 
and you have so much money to put toward that big one, and then you're out of debt. I just love that concept. It works in so many other areas of life. So there's a lot you can do with that philosophy, and I use it when I'm talking about overwhelm as well. But again, if you came to me and you said, Paul, I'm in overwhelm, what should I do? I could answer you directly, and I could give you that advice, and it could be advice that you could use for the rest of your life and be happy with, but I tend not to be so direct, not because I can't be and not because I don't think you can handle it. (laughs) I mean, I think what I'm saying is that there are other ways to approach something that will probably be more valuable to you and be longer lasting and deeper ingrained in you to the point where you never get into overwhelm in the first place. That would mean that you would never have to come to someone and say, I'm in overwhelm, what do I do? Because you wouldn't have gotten into overwhelm in the first place. And that's what my book, not that I'm trying to sell it to you right now, I'm just telling you this is why I wrote my book, is because I want to ingrain these foundational principles into your brain, into your world, so that when you make decisions, they don't lead to overwhelm. That is the gist of my show. Everything I talk about keeps you out of overwhelm if you're willing to take the steps that are required that will empower you so that you don't get into any type of uh, stressful situation in the future. It's impossible to avoid all stressful situations, of course, but using the steps that I talk about in this show, in my book, and other content that I create, my ultimate goal for you is to avoid those situations completely by making the right decisions in the first place. That is the entire gist of my show. That is the entire gist of my book and all the other content that I create. If you can avoid all of that stuff ahead of time by making the right decisions for you, then that stuff never comes up. Not that you shouldn't be prepared for that stuff and not that you can always avoid it. It's just a matter of making decisions that work for you now so that they don't compound and build up into bigger, harder decisions later that you have to take harder steps to fix or the challenges get bigger the longer things go on while you're making decisions that aren't beneficial to you or resourceful. For example, an unhealthy or toxic relationship is not beneficial to you. But if you could have made decisions to avoid the relationship or make decisions that you were able to respond in a healthy way to toxic behavior, that protected you, that showed somebody else your boundaries, that said, this is not allowable, so I'm not going to continue to tolerate it, then perhaps the relationship could have evolved into something else. Or perhaps the relationship could have ended and maybe should have ended. The stuff I talk about prepares you so that you don't get into deeper commitments with things and people and relationships that don't serve you. If you started a job and in the first week of the job you realized, oh, this job is not only terrible, but they treat me badly and the pay is terrible and I don't like going there and I hate the commute, all of these things add up, but your last comment is, but I need the money, you're not going to be happy with all this other stuff going on with the job, so you're going to make a decision based on your fear of not having money And the reality, of course, of not having money is going to be a driving force in what decisions you make. But by making a decision based on that fear of not having something, you will be unhappy and your quality of life will go down and you will just be existing day to day, making more money so you can exist the next day. It's just not a way to live. And I know there are circumstances that we have to do that sometimes. I've done that. I've had to go through the paces just to get through a period of life, a 
a moment in time of my life that I hated doing something, but I did it anyway, just as a stepping stone to get to something better in my life. I think that's unavoidable sometimes. That's just something you have to go through. You have to grin and bear it, grit your teeth, keep moving forward so that you can get through it. But I do believe we have to develop a mentality where we're not in situations like that over and over again. There's a point where we have to make better decisions even at the risk of loss, even if we have to accept the possibility that we could end up with something that we don't want. In other words, uh, saying no to a new job that might give you money to survive, but the rest of it is so awful that you have no quality of life, it might be better to not have the money and have a better quality of life. I'm not giving you that advice. Money runs the world. I know how it works. But I'm just saying, sometimes we sacrifice a lot for something that we think we need to have, at least in a way that we think we need to get it, instead of taking bigger risks. And I'm not here to tell you to take bigger risks. I'm here to say that sometimes we make decisions that bring us down a road that we can't stand or we just hate and makes us miserable. And then we have this perception of life, that life is terrible and is this all there is? Is there anything more to life? I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. And then we start having darker thoughts sometimes and we don't want to go down that road. We want to have a better quality of life, a higher quality of life. And uh, coming back to my book and everything I talk about, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you and even help me have a higher quality of life by helping you and me avoid decisions that bring us down a road that we get to a point where we can't turn around and now we have to stay on that road until we can get through it and get past it. If you can avoid that road altogether, not that there aren't any life lessons on that road, of course there are, but if you've already experienced the life lessons, maybe it's time to learn from them so that you don't experience them again. And maybe you don't have to experience all of life's lessons. I certainly don't want to end up in a toxic job or a toxic relationship or make decisions that cause a harm to me or the people that I love. So these preventative steps to help us make the right decisions so that we don't get stuck in these places in life that we don't want to be are probably much more important than somebody telling you how to get through a moment of overwhelm. Because if you're in the overwhelm, that means all of the decisions that you made that led up to that point were probably fraught with difficulty and challenge that you didn't want or need in your life. So imagine if all the components that made up that overwhelm didn't exist, didn't show up in your life, how would life look then? And that brings me back to the, the main point I wanted to make in this first segment, which is overwhelm and stress and the difficulties that we're in, the situations that we're in, they are the result of all the decisions that we've made throughout the years in our life. And if we've made decisions that weren't necessarily in our best interest and maybe thought those decisions were in our best interest, but yet here we are dealing with something that we don't want to deal with, then perhaps we can avoid doing that in the future, which brings me back to those reviews about my book that say, this isn't about overwhelm and this isn't about critical thinking. I'm here to say that what we talk about on this show and all the under the radar between the lines stuff that I bring up have everything to do with not getting there in the first place and yes even help you if you're already there because how many times have you been in a challenging or stressful situation and you really want to say something to somebody or you really want to make a decision but you know if you do you're going to experience something that you don't want to experience. Whether that person yells at you, fires you, divorces you, whether you lose your place to live, you know, losing your job, all of your decisions have consequences. 
And this is typically why we don't make the right decisions for us, because we don't want to deal with the consequences, or at least the negative ones. We want to deal with the positive ones, like if I'm nice to my mean boss, maybe he or she will give me a raise. Maybe he or she won't yell at me if I'm nice to them. Yet they yell at you and they're rude to you and you're nice to them. So was that the right decision? I'm not here to say yes or no. I'm just saying, was that the right decision? When you think about it, if you could do or say anything without fear of the consequences, what would you do or say then? That, to me, are decisions that want to be made inside me. I want to make those decisions. I want to take this action. When I have no fear of the consequences and a thought comes to mind, like, what would I do if I had no fear of the consequences? And that thought comes up, you know, an answer, a solution, the thing I would do without the fear, that is what I would call the right decision for me. I'm not saying it's the right decision in general for everyone. I'm saying it's the right decision for me. So when you have a thought that comes up after you ask yourself the question, what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? That is usually, maybe not always, but I'm going to say 99% of the time, that is usually the right answer for you. That is usually the answer that is in alignment with who you are at the deepest level. Your core values, your core wants and needs, where you feel the most I don't know, connected and grounded and the decisions that you make come from that deeper place of knowing yourself well, but being afraid to be yourself in those moments. Just imagine if you could say or do anything without fear of the consequences because that's how you felt at the deepest level, your life would probably be completely different. And if you're doing that now, congratulations, but I'm sure most of us, probably listening now, including myself, most of us in the past have not always done this and have ended up in stressful, challenging, uh, overwhelming situations. And when we ended up in those situations, we may not have looked back the past year, five years, ten years, and said, you know, when I made that one decision that led to that next decision that led to that next decision, this is why I ended up this way. We probably didn't take responsibility. Some of us may have. I know I didn't a lot of the time. I just looked at what was happening, blamed that person for what was happening, got mad at that person for what was happening, or played a victim and said, "Uh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Why is this happening to me? But I never really went back to the first decision that led to the next one, that led to the next one, that led to the next one, that brought me to this place in the first place. So I played the victim, didn't take responsibility for my own decision-making, got into overwhelm, and now I'm looking for a solution. I'm looking for the magic pill that gets me out of this overwhelm. And yes, sometimes I talk about magic pills on this show, the straightforward advice, the one that solves the problem right away. But what happens when you get into that problem again? What happens when that challenge comes your way again? Are you just going to look for that magic pill again? Some of us want to. Some of us have no time to do anything but do that. I get that too. But why not prepare yourself in a way that avoids that altogether? Avoid's not even the right word. I mean, you don't have to avoid something that you'd never experience anyway if you had the capacity to show up the way you wanted to show up and speak your mind and honor your personal boundaries, letting people know what's acceptable and what's not, so that as you live your life, Things don't fall into place that don't serve you and that aren't harmful to you. You won't be able to prevent everything from happening to you. You won't be able to avoid everything that happens in the world, but you'll be much better off because you are so prepared in yourself for dealing with a world that sends you all kinds of challenges. That's where you want to be, in my opinion. I think you want to be prepared for the challenges not trying to find the solutions for them after they arrive. You can't do it every time, of course. You can't avoid everything. You can't prevent everything. You can't be so prepared that you'll prepare for everything. And I also don't think it's a good idea to stay paranoid that everything is going to happen. But 
to be prepared means to get into the deeper stuff that's inside of you that causes you to make decisions that aren't right for you. And if you're stuck in this place that most of your decisions are based on that, like on fear-based decisions or lack-based mentality, then you make decisions that aren't necessarily right for you or anyone in your life. And I say that only about the people that actually love and support you. Let me rephrase what I just said because it didn't come out quite right. (laughs) I mean, when you make decisions that are right for you, the people that love and support you will support your decision, even if they don't like it. So what that means is if you're going through life and you're making decisions that are right for you, that are in alignment with what you want for yourself, that make you feel good about yourself, that make you happy, People that love and support you want you to be happy. They want you to feel good. The people that don't necessarily love you in a healthy way and want to either control you or keep you in a space where you rely on them, for example, or they want you to serve them in some capacity, whether it's a relationship or a job, People that don't support your path to happiness and feeling good about yourself aren't necessarily healthy for you. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying that those that don't support your path and your decisions and the actions that you want to take for yourself because they want you to be who they want you to be aren't necessarily the healthiest people to have around. And because you can have those type of people in your life, you're probably more likely going to make decisions that don't serve you and do serve them. And that, to me, is even riskier than making decisions that serve you, even if the consequences are scary. If you are out to serve other people and make them happy and not serve yourself and fulfill your life and be in alignment with what you want, and in alignment with your values, then what you're doing is serving other people and supporting their happiness and their comfort and dismissing yours. And in fact, they are also dismissing yours if you make a decision that's right for you and they don't like it and they think you're being selfish, then you really have to question the type of support that you're getting from them and the type of love they're giving you because that is somebody who's definitely afraid of you being more of an individual and doing what you want to do because they have a fear of loss or they have a fear of losing control of you or something like that. So we have to be careful about people like that because those are the kind of people that can really cause us to make decisions that aren't right for us. And when we do that, we're helping to fulfill their wants and needs and foregoing our own, which causes us to be unhappy. It lowers our quality of life. And when you do that, it's just like existing every day. And that's tough. And I know some people are way in. They're way in over their heads right now. And they're wondering, how do I get out of it now that I'm so far in? So that's definitely something to reflect on. I personally start with all of the decisions that I made that led me up to this point. And I go through the past and I ask myself, okay, if I had no fear of the consequences, what would I have done or said then? Then I'm going to come up with some answers. And then as I come up with those answers, and they're going to be different probably than what I actually did or said, then that will give me new insights to take with me going forward so that when I make new decisions, maybe they'll be different. There's a lot to explore in ourselves. And Speaking of that, I'm going to wrap this segment up, and when we come back, I'm going to explore a little bit more about emotional triggers. Somebody reached out and asked me, how do I know what my emotional triggers are? The answer is, I think, fairly easy. I haven't really formulated the exact response that I wanted to make yet, but when we come back, I'll give you my thoughts on that and what you can do to discover what your emotional triggers are, because when you know what your emotional triggers are, you are more likely to make decisions that are right for you because you will understand yourself more. You will understand yourself better. 
and it will help you with your decision making because you'll realize, oh, that's an emotional trigger that's not necessarily reflective of what might really happen. And uh, there's more to talk about there, but uh, we'll get to it when we return. Be right back. I got my best fiends game out on my mobile phone right now. Probably not the best thing to play while I'm recording. (laughs) But sometimes you have to take a break. Sometimes you're standing in line somewhere or you just went through a stressful situation. I mean, how many stressful situations are there in the world? I know last year brought a lot and I'm hoping this year doesn't, but we have some help. It's the mobile game best fiends. It's like friends without the R. Best Fiends is a great game to play while you're trying to blow off some steam or just want to think about nothing else for a few minutes or longer. The gameplay never gets old. It's got thousands of levels and new content and events added all the time. It is a great little tool to relieve your stress, unwind, and maybe get a little healthy obsession. (laughs) So I want you to check them out. It's free to download. They have over 100 million downloads so far. One of the things that I like about it is that you can play really quickly or play as long as you want. It's just hours of fun and casual gameplay that never gets old. I think one of my favorite things about it is this, it's just a peaceful game. It's got nice colors and nice graphics and nice music and it's just easy. Drag your finger on the screen, match some items and then those items go away and the things fall and then the animation changes at the top. It's fun. I highly recommend it. Download it for free today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's Best Fiends. It's like friends without the R. Best Fiends, F-I-E-N-D-S. I want you to download Boredom's Worst Nightmare today. Check out Best Fiends now. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to talk about emotional triggers. I've had a few episodes on that recently, but to actually define what they are in you so that you don't have to carry them around, not saying that just knowing about them makes them go away, but it is helpful to know what they are or at least know how to identify them so that you have some level of understanding and clarity in yourself when uh, things happen and you aren't sure why you're reacting in a certain way. It's very helpful to understand why you react in certain ways. And I really want to stress to avoid, as much as possible, avoid generalizing that you should feel this way. And what I mean by that, let's just say that um, you are in a romantic relationship and your partner starts talking to someone he or she is attracted to, and you became a little jealous. Some people might have a tendency to say, well, of course I'm a little jealous. Anyone would be jealous if their partner was talking to somebody who was very attractive. That may or may not be true, but it definitely is a generalization. And what I mean is that you are taking out the experience that you're having and making it an experience that you believe everyone would have, which actually minimizes your experience and normalizes it. Or to put that more into focus, by saying something like, well, who wouldn't be jealous? You lose the opportunity to figure out why you're jealous. This is probably not a good example for everyone, but you get the idea. You you actually are in a situation when you're having an emotional trigger, and instead of generalizing and saying, well, who wouldn't be upset in this moment? You need to take that out of your response. Take out the idea that everyone would respond that way. First of all, it's not true. Not everyone would respond that way. But that's not even why I'm saying this. Why I'm saying that you should take that out of your response is that it causes you not to look for the reason that you're triggered by it. Because this is what happens. We get into the obvious game. Like, it's so obvious. Of course I'd be upset. But if you make it obvious, then you never tackle it, you never dig into it, you never figure it out. So 
remove the generalizations. When you become upset or triggered by something, remove the comment that you might make inside your head or out loud that, of course, anyone would be upset by this. If you take that out and ask yourself, well, why am I upset about this specifically? What specifically about what's happening now makes me upset? That's one little aspect of it. Right now, I'm going to give you some questions and comments that you can make to yourself that will help you understand what your triggers are. You may already know this, and that's fine. If you do, this may be a refresher for you. Uh, But if you don't, it's very helpful to know what your triggers are because when they happen, you will be, like I said, better prepared and give yourself an opportunity to uh, maybe respond differently or maybe address and heal from what's going on inside of you. I'm not saying that it needs healing, but it's helpful to know that if you are being triggered by something and people around you are asking what's the problem, that seems like an overreaction, it's good to know where that comes from in you. And don't be surprised if your triggers are actually healthy for you and uh, personal protection mechanisms. That is one part of this. A trigger can be a personal, probably is most of the time, a personal protection mechanism that kicks in when you feel like you're either losing control or need to protect yourself. There's more to it, but that is a general way to look at what a trigger is. In fact, that's one of the six items that I'm going to go over right now. The first one in how to identify what your emotional triggers are is a really easy one. Think of something that bothers you. That's it. Just think of something that bothers you. Uh, Taxes bother me. Okay, that might not be an emotional trigger. It just might be a bother, but I want you to think about something that it bothers you so much that you have an amplified response to it. When you have an amplified response to something, that usually indicates there's probably some emotional stuff that you're carrying around that gets activated when something happens or somebody says something or does something. And just to be clear, I'm talking about negative triggers inside of you. We have positive triggers that lead to laughter and fun and happiness. But talking about that doesn't seem very productive, so I won't talk about that. The negative stuff is what we want to heal and process and release, which helps clear the path to a better feeling and a higher quality of life. But when you think about something that bothers you, uh, it usually has to do with other people, but it can also do with Uh, what you have to do in your life, your job, a project, something that really bothers you when you think about it, you just don't want to deal with it, uh, or it gives you an amplified emotional response of some sort. And the second part of that question, when you think of something that bothers you, can you be okay if it never goes away? Can you be okay with what bothers you if it never, ever goes away? And maybe I should reword that to say, can you come to terms with it or be at peace if you have to live with it? Because if you can learn to live with it and you can come to terms and come to peace with it, even though you don't like it, then it's probably not what I would consider an emotional trigger. It may not be something you enjoy doing or thinking about, but an emotional trigger is something that just kind of surprises your system. It's like, whoa, uh, this is terrible. I don't want this to happen. And suddenly you're having this response, that amplified emotional response. If you can be okay with it, if it doesn't go away, or if you can come to terms with it or come to peace with it, it's probably not an emotional trigger. It doesn't mean you don't want it to change, and it doesn't mean you can't try to change it. It just means you're probably okay with it. It's probably not something that lingers in the background and that's what number two is about is uh, does the feeling linger a lingering emotion after something bothers you it has inside of it a deeper issue it's something that is unsettling to you it's something that you just think about in the background of your mind more often than maybe you'd feel comfortable thinking about jealousy like I just mentioned is a good example If it's always in the back of your mind, like I hope my partner doesn't talk to that person or these people or these types of people, then that lingering emotion 
is probably an emotional trigger that will spring up when the event happens of them talking to someone or looking at someone. So that I would consider an emotional trigger. If I were in that space, I would say, I get triggered when my girlfriend talks to that guy. I get triggered. I get upset. I have an amplified emotional response. Okay, so now I know that trigger. And these you can write down or just commit to memory. And maybe you don't need to know these things. Maybe knowing these things doesn't help at all. But I'm answering this person's question about how to identify emotional triggers because it's helpful. Like I said, it's helpful so that you have other choices when a trigger would normally be your go-to. And it's usually involuntary. That's another part of this is that all triggers are typically something involuntary. Like you don't want to feel this way, uh, but it just happens. And when you feel this way, you may even want to stop feeling this way. But I wouldn't necessarily call that one of the identifiers because deep down you may want to feel this way. You may want to be angry. You may want to be jealous because it comes back to that personal protection mechanism, which can feel very helpful to you. It can feel like it's actually trying to protect you, which is probably why some people don't want to heal from these emotional triggers. They don't want to get past them because they believe it's a personal protection mechanism. They may not call their triggers protection mechanisms, but uh, that can be one way to look at it. All right, so number three is, are you at some level always on guard for what bothers you? So thinking back to number one, think of something that bothers you. Are you at some level always on guard regarding that thing that bothers you? When you are, you're constantly carrying around almost a low-level paranoia. You're always on alert. And not wanting that thing really wears you out. I mean, you're constantly thinking about it. It's almost an obsession. The emotional triggers are typically under the radar, but you know they're there. It's sort of like in my 20s. I used to feel pretty good. I used to be happy. But underneath, I was carrying something around, something that just didn't feel good, just felt a little dark or painful. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I learned later that you know I was holding on to a lot of hatred and anger toward my stepfather, and I had a lot of uh, trauma that I had to resolve. So that stuff was in there. I didn't know it was in there, but I did feel like I was on guard, like if something bad happened or something that made me feel out of control that I really needed to go into fight or flight almost and protect myself or at least think I was protecting myself by being emotionally triggered. That doesn't mean you automatically just get upset and lash out at someone. It could mean you close up. It could mean you uh, shut down. That's actually another emotional trigger is a shutdown. I'll talk about that in a second. But when you're always on guard or you're feeling this low level state that there's something underneath what you're typically feeling, like if you are typically in a good mood, but there's something underneath that prevents you from being 100% in a good mood, then that could be some underlying emotional stuff. And these questions and what I'm talking about today can help you uncover them. And it may take some more digging than just listen to this episode, but uh, this is part of it. Let's go to number four, which is, uh, are you at all passive aggressive when something bothers you? Think about that thing that bothers you again, and are you at all passive-aggressive toward other people about that thing? And passive-aggressiveness consists of comments like, uh, if someone told me we were out of milk, I would have picked it up, but now I'm going to waste my time going back out and spend more money and spend more gas. You're not really being direct. You're not saying, hey, why didn't you tell me that we were out of milk. This really upsets me because now I have to spend more money and more gas and more time. Uh, But instead, you say something like, well, if someone had told me, meaning you're talking about someone, you know who you're talking about, they know who you're talking about, but you say it in a way that isn't direct, hoping that they'll, well, knowing that they'll connect the dots, but there's some aggression in your tone and in your approach. And because you're not being direct, it's almost a way of uh, stabbing them with an emotional dagger without actually doing it. (laughs) You're not actually pushing it in. You're just 
putting it there hoping they run into it. So passive aggressiveness about things that bother you like, oh, those dishes are never done. They're never done. I get so angry. That could be an emotional trigger because you might say, well, somebody didn't do the dishes or however you would word it. There's a lot of ways to be passive aggressive. It's just being indirect while trying to make the other person get it and hoping that they also feel what you're trying to convey, something that you want them to feel, almost as if you want them to feel guilty or hurt or bad in some way for what they did. That's what passive-aggressive behavior is. And I don't think I need to explain that to you. I'm just putting that out there in case somebody isn't aware of what passive-aggressive behavior looks like. It can look like that. Uh, But the reason I say that is because if you're passive-aggressive about something that bothers you and you're not direct, you're more likely to carry that negativity around with you throughout your life because you're never direct about it. You never try to resolve it directly with people. You are just trying to resolve things passively, hoping other people get the message. This never goes well. (laughs) No matter how many times I've done this in my life, no matter how many times you do this, if you do this, passive-aggressive behavior usually doesn't go well. It just makes you look mean sometimes. You you just say things that are trying to get a point across, but they're said in a way to make the other person feel bad or feel hurt. And because they sense that passive-aggressive tone, they may not respond to it directly either. They may get upset at you or upset in general, and you both are shooting passive-aggressive comments at each other, and nothing ever gets resolved, and there's no closure, and there's no healing, and you never get to the bottom of it, or you never reach that point where you finally just have it out, which actually can be helpful. Because if you put everything on the table and say, look, I get upset when you do this, and this is why, then you have something to work with. The passive-aggressive stuff, you don't really have much to work with. You just have attitude. And that's why it can linger, that those feelings can linger. Because you never get closure. It's just always drama and attitude, and it goes nowhere, typically. So that's number four. Oh, and one passive-aggressive behavior that I used to do, it was terrible, was the silent treatment. We've probably all done this at one time or another, but I would withdraw love because I would be angry. But I also didn't want to be angry at the person I loved, so I would be silent. But my ultimate goal for being silent was to make the person I loved feel bad enough so she wouldn't do the behavior again. That is the ultimate passive-aggressive behavior because I'm not saying anything. Saying nothing is almost worse than saying something because it causes the person to keep guessing and feel unloved and disconnected. So that's another example of a a passive-aggressive behavior. Number five, we've got two left. Number five is emotional triggers almost always feel like you are not in control. This is why it's so important to address some of the old traumas and some of the old unhealed emotional wounds because if you don't work on that stuff, then what happens is that old stuff turns into emotional triggers in the future and you can't connect the dots of the past and the present. In other words, I used to be triggered when somebody would drink alcohol around me. I grew up seeing that alcohol was dangerous because my stepfather drank it and he became a violent drunk and it was very scary to be around him. So I developed uh, almost an intolerance to people drinking around me. So even my relationships in my early 20s where maybe I should loosen up, I still wasn't that loose. I was still bothered by people drinking around me because I knew that drinking was bad, unhealthy, and dangerous. And I would get triggered when somebody drink alcohol around me. I was able to heal from that, but only after I realized, A, it was an emotional trigger, and B, it didn't apply anymore. This is something that is very important to understand, is that when you are emotionally triggered by something that doesn't apply anymore, you are causing your own pain. You're bringing old stuff into the present, thinking that that old stuff still exists in some way, shape, or form, but really, it most of it doesn't. For example, bring back jealousy. Your romantic partner talks with somebody who's attractive, and they're getting along, and they're laughing, and you suddenly feel jealous. Why are you feeling jealous? 
in the past you've probably experienced something where somebody betrayed you or somebody abandoned you or somebody rejected you and now you have these feelings of low self-worth and low self-esteem and you're afraid that somebody might leave you if they talk to somebody that might be more attractive than you or smarter or funnier or more wealthy than you if you're carrying around these insecurities those could be emotional triggers and they point to the origin of your emotional triggers because when is the first time you felt betrayed or you felt a fear of abandonment or a fear of rejection when is the very first time the earliest memory that you have you may or may not experience this but there are people listening right now that might have a jealousy issue and that might be an emotional trigger for them and these are important questions because if you say well when I was six and my mom never came home or my dad said he loved me but then I heard him talking that he never wanted me to be born you're gonna have some pretty traumatic stuff you're carrying around and that lingering underlayer of those negative emotions and negative memories are going to be what causes emotional triggers today and as long as you're carrying around those lingering thoughts and feelings and emotions you're probably going to continue getting triggered so in the example I'm using with jealousy let's just say that you get triggered by your partner talking to someone that is attractive your trigger pops up inside of you and you're thinking oh here it is I'm jealous I'm jealous you may not actually have these thoughts but being aware of what your triggers are is very helpful that's why you can say oh look here's that jealousy again I'm feeling jealous when is the first time I felt this because jealousy isn't the lone ranger in this emotional pool that comes up with jealousy jealousy contains all kinds of stuff trust and self-worth and self-esteem and insecurities about feeling abandonment feeling rejection all kinds of stuff so jealousy is just a cover word for a bunch of other stuff so when is the first time you felt all this other stuff or any of this other stuff because if you can find the origin of the first time then you may be able to disconnect what happened then with what's happening now and maybe feel better about it because what happened then doesn't apply anymore that's assuming you have a trusting relationship I mean I'm only talking about a relationship where you know the person you're with will never cheat and you get along well and you trust each other if that's already been established and you're still jealous then we have something in the past that is sneaking up on us and that is what I'm looking at as an emotional trigger that needs to be addressed that needs to be looked at and when you remember the elements of jealousy that happened in the past or whatever emotion that comes up for you and figure out where it started you can ask yourself does it apply anymore if the answer is yes it applies then that's the conversation that you need to have with somebody in your life I am afraid that you'll leave me okay that would be a conversation starter why are you afraid that I'll leave you and now you'll have to answer to it now you'll have to have to actually have the real conversation well because uh, my dad left me when I was seven and then hopefully they'll say what does your dad leaving you have to do with me that would be a good question I, I hope conversations go like that for you because a healthy relationship facilitates conversations like that if it doesn't go like that and they say well you shouldn't be jealous you're always looking out over my shoulder and I can't stand it then you have other problems now you have problems with communication but I can really go off on a tangent there but that is number five emotional triggers always feel like you're not in control and they feel that way because you're still carrying them around and they're just waiting on the surface waiting to come out and that is very helpful for you to know if they're just waiting on the surface waiting to come out and you kind of have a short fuse about things not only with anger but with uh, feeling hurt or feeling upset in some way that can be a way to identify emotional triggers as well all right let's get to number six and wrap this up if you really want to explore your emotional triggers think of your childhood and who or what bothered you and why and I touched upon this already but think about who and what bothered you and why it could be your parents it could be your siblings it could be your friends or the bully up the street like it was for me it could be uh, a number of people or it could be a thing like every time I rode my bike my shoelace got caught and then I'd crash and so every time I think of a bike I get upset probably not too many emotional triggers that have to do with material items but 
they could be there. They could be there because they could be affecting you. Like, I'll never get on a bike again. And when somebody mentions bike, I have a PTSD response to it, and I just don't want to deal with bikes. But if that's in there, you might have to ask yourself if it still applies. Because if it does, that might be something you want to look at, if you want. This is totally optional, of course, but life can be a lot better and less stressful and less overwhelming when you are willing to look inward and discover what still bothers you. And when you think of your childhood and what or who bothered you back then, you'll have specific memories that come up that will help you link the past to the present. It'll help you connect the dots of what happened in your past to the present. And it's always true. There's something in your past that links to the present. If you suddenly become upset and you have a reaction and other people around you are asking you, why are you overreacting? Unless they're emotionally abusive and they want you to feel bad for having a normal reaction. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, maybe it is an overreaction. Maybe you are having some sort of amplified emotional response that you need to look at because maybe it's still in there from when you were younger. It doesn't always have to be childhood. It can be something happened when you were older, something traumatic, something memorable. These triggers can form any time. But a lot of them happen when we're children because that is when we're learning everything for the first time. So when you explore your childhood and who or what bothered you, you'll find many of those connections to the upsets that you may feel today. And knowing the connections you can ask yourself questions. This is when you give yourself options. Because when the trigger happens, it's like fight or flight, and it's a subconscious trigger that just comes out of nowhere. But when we know about them and we ask ourselves, where did this trigger come from? When did I first feel this way? And we come up with something, just like when people drank around me, I would ask, where did this anger about people drinking around me come from? The answer was kind of obvious, because my stepfather did it. But The question I really had for myself is, why does it bother me today? I understand why it bothered me back then, but why does it bother me today? And then I'll start answering that question with some revelations because my answers are going to include, well, I don't want them to be a dangerous, violent drunk. And I'll follow that up with, do you really think this person's going to turn into a dangerous, violent drunk? Someone that drinks once or twice a month or just goes out to the restaurant and has a couple drinks. Do you really think that's going to happen? And I'm going to start talking sense to myself. Like, well, no, I I don't think that'll happen, but I'm still angry that they're drinking. Well, why? Why are you angry that they're drinking? What's so bad about it? Well, I remember when I was a child, this stuff happened. Yeah, but is that going to happen now? Why don't you just wait and find out? That's helpful. I can wait and find out because if it did happen, then I'll have validation. I can confirm that my fears were true, but we often don't let it get that far. We often want to stop it before it goes any further, so we don't tell ourselves, let's just wait and find out what happens. Because if what happened in my past did happen again, I probably need to know about it so that I can make a decision that's right for me at that point. But if it never happens, if they have a couple drinks and they're still fine, maybe I was just overreacting. Maybe it wasn't anything to worry about at all. What is the outcome of what you fear coming true? Because if you let it play out, does it have the outcome that you don't want? For example, the jealousy thing again. Let's just say that your partner talks to an attractive person and nothing ever comes of it. He or she walks away, they never talk again, and it's no big deal, and nothing happens. That's a reinforcement that nothing will happen, because you just saw it. It, Nothing happened. This is where you start to reprogram yourself. You want to start seeing these positive reinforcements that tell you, oh, what I was triggered by isn't anything to worry about. And it may take repetitive exposure to that so that you can stop carrying it around. Just like it took repetitive exposure to people drinking alcohol around me to finally realize that that one instance in childhood with that one person was a one-off. He was the exception. He was the only person in my life that turned into a violent drunk around me. 
making alcohol not the problem, but him the problem. And that was enlightening. That changed my life. Because once I pointed at him as the problem and not the alcohol, alcohol wasn't a problem anymore. And people that wanted to drink around me, they could. It doesn't mean I like when they get drunk. <laughs> it doesn't mean I want to be around them if they're just nuts. But it certainly helped me with being around casual drinkers and people who just drink every now and then. And I don't even think about it anymore. It doesn't even phase me anymore. It's gone. And any emotional triggers that you have, if you're still working on them or you're still trying to figure them out, I want them to be gone for you too. There's no reason to go through life constantly worried about somebody doing something that you don't want them to do or having a fear of something happening. It's just again, lowers the quality of life and you don't deserve that. You deserve to heal and get through these triggers so that you don't have to deal with them anymore. It's tough. I know it is. There are still triggers in me that come up and when they do, I address them. I ask myself questions like this. I look at them. I explore them. I figure out where they come from. I ask myself, why am I jealous? I've been with my girlfriend like five years now. There's never been one instance of her doing anything that would jeopardize the relationship or make me think that she's interested in someone else. There's complete trust. There's complete honesty. So why is jealousy coming up right now? And then I tell myself, whatever trigger I'm experiencing, that it's all in me. I shouldn't put it on her at all, meaning I shouldn't get mad at her. I shouldn't say anything because this is all in me. This is something I need to deal with. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't talk to her about the triggers that come up. I can actually bring up a trigger like that. Let's just say it was jealousy and say, hey, look, this is weird, but uh, I, I get a little jealous when you talk to that guy. And we actually might have a laugh about it, but it would be a serious conversation because I would say, I need to get past this. Will you ask me some questions and maybe I can explore this or you can help me explore it? I believe relationships can get to that point where you can talk about what bothers you with the other person, even if it's about the other person, and you can get to a better place with them because you've talked to them about it and you become stronger because of that. I'm not saying it always works. Sometimes you talk with people who might feel insecure about it, who might feel offended by what you're bringing up. But when you can have that in a relationship, then you can have usually a stronger bond with the person you're with. So I hope this helps you if you're trying to define your emotional triggers, trying to understand what they are. I have tons of episodes on emotional triggers. You can just go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, listen to my episodes, just type in the search field triggers or emotional trigger, and you will see uh, quite a few resources there. So check them out if you're still looking for more information there. Otherwise, we'll be right back. I'll say my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, Best Fiends. Head over to Google Play or the Apple App Store and download Best Fiends for free today. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And I want to thank the financial backers of this show. These are the patrons that I like to thank every week, or at least a portion of them every week. I can't thank them all. It's a long list, which is good. So I like to take the time and thank those who are on the patron program and giving some amount every month and supporting the show because they can and they've chosen to give back. And I appreciate each and every one of you, Chris and Holly and Clarissa, Crystal, Brad and Jamie and Jennifer and Leslie. Uh, David just joined. David, you're new. Thank you so much for joining. I am so grateful for you. Thanks for joining the program. I hope you enjoy the resources I put in the patron site as well. Uh, and Angel, Angel, thank you so much. All of you wonderful people. I am so grateful for your support. And like I was just saying to David, I hope he's enjoying the resources in the patron program over at moretob.com. If you find value in the show and you want to give back, you can head over to moretob.com and uh, give back that way. Or you can make a one-time donation just like uh, Teresa did. Teresa made a generous donation. Thank you, Teresa. Very kind of you. Very generous. I am grateful for you. 
thank you to all who support this show. Not everyone can do it, and I understand that, and I know there are people out there that they've written to me and say, I, I want to support the show. I want to do what I can. And if you don't have the extra funds to do that, I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to give up any of your money that you need for other things. Don't do that. If you can't afford it, don't do it. If you want to give back, share the show with others. Tell people about it. Put it on your social media. Just spread it around or just talk about it with people. That's a great way to give back. Or you can just listen to it by yourself and learn, heal, grow, and evolve. That's exactly my goal for you is to get into a space where your life is improving and like I've said on other shows, it's a selfish endeavor on my part because if your life improves, the world gets better because there's one more person in the world improving the world, and that means my life gets better. So it's all a selfish game that I'm playing to make the world a better place so that I can be more comfortable in it. <laughs> but I think everyone benefits, so perhaps it's a good thing. And so I'm very grateful for everyone that does that. I'm very grateful for all the support. So thank you again, patrons. I also want to mention the Love and Abuse podcast. I have a second show. It's called Love and Abuse. It is for difficult relationships. If you are trying to work on a relationship or heal a relationship or trying to figure out why you leave every conversation feeling bad, maybe Love and Abuse is the show that you need. It's been out since uh, for a couple of years now, so there's a lot of episodes over there that you can check out. If you are dealing with any type of difficult relationship or you can't seem to communicate with someone or you're always feeling bad or guilty or you feel like you're responsible for everything that happens that goes wrong, listen to Love and Abuse. Go to loveandabuse.com and maybe you'll find out that you're really not going crazy and you may not even be the problem. There could be something else going on. Check it out. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And to end the show, I'm just going to read you a quick email that I received. This person wrote, Hi, I just wanted to say thank you. I stumbled across your latest podcast at the end of December. It was like you were actually talking to me. I found myself in my second long-term toxic relationship. I just needed to hear virtually every word you said. I've asked him to leave. It's hurting, but I absolutely know it's the right decision. Thanks again. That is so powerful. It's very inspiring, and I know it's very difficult. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I am so happy that you have made the right decision for you. This is the perfect email to end the show with because sometimes the right decision that we need to make is the hard one. It is the hardest one that uh, you may not want to make, but you know you need to. There's just something deep inside you that tells you you need to do this. And doing it is a big step. It is a scary step. And she got to the point, she may not have said these words, but she got to the point where she said, you know, the consequences of doing this cannot override the reason I'm doing this. Again, she probably didn't say those words, but I'm saying those words. The consequences of doing this, which is going to be a lot of maybe pain and unknowns, and maybe this person's a jerk and will make her feel bad. Uh, there's all kinds of things that she doesn't want to deal with, but the consequences didn't override her reason for doing it in the first place, and that is probably what compelled her to do it. When the reasons get so much more important than the consequences of doing something, you're going to act. It's going to happen. You're going to take the steps you need to take to create a higher quality of life. And it sounds like that's exactly what she did. So she thanks me, but I'm going to say thank you for taking this step because I know it was hard. I know it took a lot of courage and I know that there were a lot of unknowns, or at least I'm sure there were a lot of unknowns. And uh, as a final thing I want to say to you, yes, I was talking directly to you. That sounds funny. It sounds weird. But when I come on the air, I am talking directly to you. And the reason I know that is because when your life changes because of something that you did, maybe inspired by something I said, and then you write back to me and say, hey, I did this thing after I listened to your show, then I can honestly say I'm talking directly to you. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but when I come on the air, I don't think about tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of listeners listening. I don't think about that. 
I think about me sitting on the couch next to you or sitting in a coffee shop with you, talking to you as if we're best friends and I'm just having a conversation with you. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying my time with you. I really enjoy my time with you. And I love coming on the air and being with you and sharing my thoughts and expressing to you. And I'm so glad you are there to hear it. I'm so glad you are receiving it. I am so glad to know you. So thank you. I am grateful for you. And with that, keep an open mind so that you can step into your power and create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. I don't know if I'm riding in your car. I don't know if I'm doing your laundry with you or we're on bikes or we're in a coffee shop or we're on the couch. Wherever we are, I know this to be true. You are amazing. Amazing.